Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 272, The Publisher Perspective, What We're Looking For in 2021. Presented by Dan and Frank DiLorenzo, Kira Peevely, Kurt Cover, Shari Spiro, and Ben Harkins. Hi, I'm Frank from R&R Game, and this is the publisher's perspective, what we're looking for in 2021. And right now, I'm going to introduce Kurt from Smirk and Dagger. Hey, I'm Kurt from Smirk and Dagger. Uh, I am the owner, and um, now I'm going to be heading over to Kira. Hey, I'm Kira. Uh, I run a marketing agency working with multiple publishers, some that are on this panel with us, uh, like Ben. Hi, I'm Ben Harkins, Floodgate Games, and I'm going to hand you off to Sherry. Hi, I'm Sherry from Breaking Games, and I'm going to hand you off to Dan. Uh, hi, Sherry. Thank you for that. I'm Dan. I'm from R&R Games, and we're excited to talk about uh, what we're looking for from the publisher's perspective for 2021. So let's kick it off. Kurt, tell me a little bit about what you're looking for. <laughs> oh, sure. Start with me. Uh, you okay. Know, thank you, Kurt. Very yeah, good. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost hard because... Uh, the trick is you don't know exactly what the world is going to be like in 2021, uh, though we assume it's going to be kind of like it is now. Um, so I can tell you one thing I'm looking less at is I'm looking at less party games, less, you know, uh, you know, six to 12 player games, you know, it's probably smaller player counts, uh, things you can play solo, a couple, um, and um, and I always look for casual things, but I would continue to do so. Yeah. I would say that a lot of uh, people are starting to look at their catalog and what they can add to what they already have out there, so that um, they're bringing more content to their existing games uh, for players that already have it, and introducing the game to new players, saying, you know, hey, here we've got this game. Maybe they're introducing a new solo mode, like Kurt said. Uh, if it doesn't already have one, maybe they're expanding on what they already have, like Ben does with the Sagrada expansions. Um, so I think that's a lot of what I'm seeing and what people are expecting heading into the next year. Hmm. Uh, yeah, we're what focusing quite a bit on looking for games that are good for couples. Uh, a lot of couples that are staying at home, playing games together and not getting together with their normal game groups. So that's been one of the key things I look for is just a really killer two-player experience. Um, still want to be able to scale up. Uh, family's still important, of course, if you have your your kids and extended family. But um, at the at the core of it for us, uh, two players got to be got to be rock solid. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, yeah, we're looking for smaller games as well. 
um, really like a four player maximum, uh, mostly family games that can be played with uh, kids of all ages. So anything maybe five to eight up to, you know, 18, something that really kind of runs the gamut. We've got some that are going to be geared towards people with slightly younger children and then some that are geared towards people with, you know, slightly older children. So that's pretty much what we're looking for. Obviously, we had some great 10-player party games last year and uh, you just can't have as much fun with those anymore until we have a cure for this pandemic. So we've all, I think, been in a pretty awkward position, no trade shows, you know, less stores. It's it's been it's been an interesting situation, but uh, games are still popular, and that's the important thing. People want to play games. We have a lot of hope, and I think our industry is going to do well. We just have to be clever. We brought up party games and and things like that. So I've got a question for everyone here: uh, how how much are you looking at your games right now, and how they can translate to something online, whether that's being played through something like Discord here? or Skype or Zoom, a lot of people are doing that. How's that impacting your decisions right now? Not much for us. We're, uh, we're putting a lot of our games online, but we're still looking at games that are just for the family anyway. So strategy games are where we're focusing right now, but we're still looking at party games. We're still putting out party games. Um, really, it hasn't stopped us at all. From what we're yeah, I mean, at. we can play Times Up online, right? You don't That's need right. to be in the yeah. same room to play a game like that. Many of the games that we have, especially the party games, we've played on Zoom, on Discord, and it's worked out fine. Uh, I, I can say a lot of version, Sorry. I think no, the online version here. is really It's to support the regular version of the game. I think we're all... Um, we're all pretty uh, conventional in that we, we definitely want the game to play at the table. That's the number one priority. It's still got to play well at the table. And then the added bonus is if it really translates well over Zoom or Discord or Tabletop Simulator, that's an added bonus. But I'm not looking for games that are you know good in that platform first and, and maybe not so great at the table. So, Well, so interestingly, um, it's not necessarily the difference in what games I'm looking for uh, right now that relates to COVID, if I think about it, because the things I, that I'm going to use for the next year, they're probably already in the queue. So I should really still be looking at games broadly for when we're all back to normal. But I will say that during the design process, during the pitch process, if a designer has a game on Tabletop Simulator, that I can get in and play with them now and evaluate when I don't have my regular play groups available as much, that makes a big difference. So, so I think that's probably as, as you know, designers watching this, having your game on, you know, one of the digital platforms so we can experience it, that makes a huge difference in our ability to evaluate and jump on board. For sure. I was going to say the exact same thing. I've got a, a small stack of games that uh, that are finding a hard time to get to the table, but I've played through quite a few prototypes on Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator. So if you want us to look at them more quickly, I think you know what to do now. If you can. I, I, I've got one game in particular that just doesn't translate. There's there's not a way to translate it digitally, and uh, it's it's a cool-looking prototype, but we'll, we'll, 
We'll see if I can get it to the table. Yeah. I had a great pitch on Discord last night, and I won the game. And, of course, I love it when I win. It's always a plus if you let your uh, potential publisher win. But uh, And it was great. And I thought, wow, if it's great on Discord, it's going to be great when we play it live. So uh, that got me very excited. And I was... Uh, you know, I was really pleased with the way that pitch translated. I have to say that was probably one of the better pitches, too. Because Discord, I find Discord. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great point because as gamers, right, we're all, I mean, personally, I am sick and tired of playing digitally in tabletop tabletop simulator and, TTA, and tabletopia because it's so fiddly at times, right? And Ben and I were joking about this recently, like, <laughs> Can you imagine in real life if you're grabbing, trying to grab one card and you grab the whole deck, or you actually pull the whole deck into your hand? <laughs> Things like that are very frustrating and it takes away from the game. So if you can find, do you have an experience that's so good, it's that stuff doesn't matter. A good example for me was the first time I got to play Whistle Mountain was on TTS and it's got a lot of little fiddly bits in real life too, but it was so good in tabletop simulator, all the stuff I kept screwing up didn't matter. So do you think that that is going to impact your decisions as well? Are you gonna be able to see past the fiddliness of the system that you're using if you're doing it digitally? In some cases, yes. I mean, I, I understand the fiddliness of it and I experienced the fiddliness of it, but that's not what I'm looking for in the prototype, so I just went positive. I think one of the only tough parts of that has been for some play testing, uh, getting accurate play times, um, because it's just slower to play through prototypes on Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia, yeah. that we're trying to really zero in the length of a game for, at different player counts. And so I'm kind of asking testers to record their actual play time, but then also estimate what they think it would be minus the fiddly extras that come along with the digital. Yeah, you cannot get an accurate idea of the time from, from doing it on that. No. Do you think there's a benefit um, when you're getting a pitch from a designer that if they're, if they're set up for tabletop simulator, tabletopia, that's great, but would it be beneficial for them to record a play for you guys to just see how yeah. it goes without the fiddliness, like with their own home group. Yeah, I've been seeing several like that that were an excellent way to learn about the game, but I always wanted to play it after that, just for my own edification. Yeah, there's nothing like playing it in real life to really get a feel. And I, I do miss the play test groups and I miss the shows, especially watching people play at shows cold. That that was a lot of fun. And I think that uh, you got a really honest appraisal that way. I always called it my grassroots testing because I didn't see how you could get any more grassroots than, you know, here's a game, let's see how fast you can figure it out and if you have fun. But uh, for sure, the online is a, is a lifesaver. At least we get to play. And uh, so that means a lot that those technologies exist. There was a, a <laughs> game that uh, we looked at uh, just recently that really had a dexterity element to it. So the fact that the designers had recorded a play um, and sent that video along with their cell sheet 
was was all I needed to to really gauge what the game was all about, and therefore I could say, yeah, you know what, that's interesting enough. You know, why don't you send me the prototype and I can try it with my family? So, um, so in a case like that, absolutely, a, a videotape playthrough um, is going to be superior than a you know like a uh, tabletop simulator kind of a thing. But um, but if it's a standard board game, if it's not print and play, then eventually, yeah, if we if we see it and we want to try it those platforms are critical now. Uh, even for our internal testing, um, I, I had some games in development otherwise that I put up on Tabletop Simulator, so I actually play with our team uh, more effectively, and uh, that's been a, a godsend too. Well, Kurt, you've been able to utilize uh, Tabletop Simulator for your recent Kickstarter as well, and using that to actually help show off the game. So. There's a lot of uses for this and also helping promote the game once it's made it past that stage with you guys. But let's maybe take this beyond the COVID barrier for us, because I think there's a lot more like we you guys all alluded to at the beginning of this. There's a lot more to what we're looking for, because a lot of things that are for 2021 are already in development. You're looking at 2022, 2023. What is it that is going to hook you into a game right now? beyond the player count for us it hasn't changed at all i mean we're still looking for the same thing we want it to be fun we want it to be engaging we want it to not last forever and uh you know it doesn't change the parameters of what we're really looking for in any shape or form i mean we're always you know whether it's family strategy whether it's partying it doesn't matter it's the same for us the difference is is that we have to look at these mostly right now online and get the idea from that and then if we really see something then i ask for it to come in or we'll test it in-house but that's all the testing we can do right now yeah i'm looking for a good end game i you know the thing i find most satisfying in a game is if it's got a great end game I mean, the, the rest of it has to be fun too, but it's almost like when you watch a movie and the ending's no good. I, I always liken it to other things. Um, the whole, we're just looking for the whole experience and then it, it sort of has to wrap up well at the end. And um, that could come in any kind of form, really. It could be a family game, it could be a two player strategy game. It could be, you know, it could be a party game, but uh, the party games are, that category is limited right now. I see a lot of conversational games, but strictly speaking, those aren't games. So the ones that really are games uh, would be something that I would be looking for. If it has a great kind of a clever conversational element, that's good. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't have a a win condition, I don't. You know, I'm not really as excited about it. One of my, I don't know. One of my favorite uh, questions to ask after playtesting is. Uh, at what point in the game did you know that the winner was going to win? Uh, and that for me is like kind of a similar take on caring about the the end game that being climactic and uh, feeling like you just don't know how it's going to end until until you get real close. Um, it's it's always nice to know kind of where you stand relative to other players, if particularly if it's a more competitive game. But um, I really like that question. So maybe that's one designers can ask themselves as they're testing with their friends and family. 
When you look okay. at that as more of a balance issue, though, I mean, if you if they tell you, oh, I knew like three, four, or five turns before, I would be like worried at that point. I'd be like, oh my god, if you can call it that far back, that's a danger. Yeah, potentially, it it, it could mean game balance, and it could mean uh, that there is runaway leader issues, right. something like that, or, or it could just be that the narrative arc of the game or the like arc of Winning the game is is skewed in some respect, but either way, all of those, yeah, all <laughs> of those equate to hey, the the ending is not going to be super exciting. <laughs> yep, exactly. I will say that um, I have been more critical of late. I've been um, filtering harder because I think. I think less games are going to get released in a year at this point. Um, I, and certainly, you know, we were drinking from the fire hose for, for a while. Um, and I think, I think more care right now is being taken on. Does this feel like a game that is actually going to, to pop, to get recognized? Does it have enough to get noticed? And I think I'm doing... A, a harder look at whether I think it has that potential before greenlighting a project now, where, you know, a couple of years ago, if I felt strongly about the game, I, you know, I felt strongly about the game, but now I really, really am looking at the marketing of a game and the potential audience and the, the bang for the buck that I think will, will, will be perceived. So, um, so that's, that's changed things a, a little bit, I think this year. Does anyone else feel that way? Yeah, we've seen some of that for sure. I've definitely uh, been more critical and more hesitant to accept things that I normally would be sure. Yeah, let's, let's try it. Just because I, I don't want to put out a lot of stuff uh, in this climate, I want to be very specific. Put something out that I think okay, will work in this climate and uh, will you know succeed. Yeah, nobody wants to be sitting on a bunch of inventory right now, right? <laughs> So well, I think I, a lot of people are looking to cut out the bloat uh, and, and really focus on making the best games right now, which is going to be good for the whole industry. So your game is really going to have to shine. So what are some things that you guys are like, what are things that have stuck out to you when you're looking at a game that really bring it to that? Okay. I'm ready to bring other people in and have a look at this and see if this is a fit for me. Guys, I'm just going to turn my camera off for now because it keeps flashing. I don't know if you're seeing that. It's, it's really annoying. Yeah. yeah. I, for us, it's always the fun factor. It's literally a serious, you know, look at, is this a fun game? Is this engaging? Is this going to keep my attention? Will it, you know, play in a, in a reasonable amount of time and keep everyone engaged? Then we look at the balance. You know, is it a balanced game? Does everyone have a chance to win? Doesn't matter if you're winning in a party game. Who cares? Sometimes if you're just laughing so hard, it doesn't matter. But there's, you know, there's a lot. None of those parameters have really changed. It's just that we're spending more time on the development end now because we have the time. We're not traveling to all these shows, so we're spending it developing and really fine tuning. We had a game that was going to come out in February this year, then March. We pushed it all the way back to January of 2021 just because we could make it all the more beautiful, make it even tighter, make it more perfect. So, uh, yeah, I like, I like putting a lot more effort in like this. It's, it's been pretty good. 
Yeah, I'm nice tending to get a little, a little more discerning about. Oh, I'm sorry, Sherry. I think no, no, go ahead. We're colliding on the internet. <laughs> uh, I, I like to think a lot about uh, the network effect that can happen with a game where one group of people gets together and plays the game, and then how how much impact is there on, let's say, the the three or four people who came to the game that was brought by the fourth. And then how much do they want to go on and say, I want to pick that up and bring it to some other group of people. Maybe maybe that's home to play with their significant other, or maybe that's to another game group that they're a part of. Um, because th the more effective that is, the more it's likely to propagate. And I promise I'm not trying to sneak coronavirus references into <laughs> the uh, the gaming philosophy here. But uh, I, I think that's really, that's really important for how information gets communicated. And if that experience is fun, that can be great. And if that's like satisfying enough, it kind of dies there and then it doesn't spread. But if you want to become an advocate for that game, going and getting it and sharing it with other people, that's the thing that really spreads it. So do you think there are some games that do that better than others? Like you, you would evaluate them differently now than before? Or I, I guess I'm not sure where you're driving. I, think I would. I would personally, I don't know if it's if it's different globally or anything. Like contextually it may not be different, but it's it's just something I'm paying a little more attention to. Okay. And uh and looking for that particular aspect of uh how do people react to this when they're playing? Do, and asking like, do you know someone who you'd like to show this game to? Or is it like, hey, that was good enough and I I, I feel like I had a good time and I'm done with it, or do I need more? Do I need to like get this and play it again? potentially with another group. Yeah, because I think... I think um, it's great that we're not enjoying. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that... Gonna uh, say <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> you first. No, 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 you first. <laughs> I was going to say that um, I, that's always been kind of one one of my barometers that I, I, I tend to share with designers as well. Um, before you start pitching it to a publisher, make sure it's already got enough kind of marketing momentum to it. Um, so if you sit down at a test with people you don't know, and at least one of them doesn't spontaneously, without you asking, say, oh, oh my God, when is this coming out? Like, that's how you know it's ready to pitch a publisher because it has that pass along. Or, or they're like, you know, oh my God, guys, come and take a look at this. And then they explain the thing that they got excited about those are reasons to pay attention to a game. And that's when you want to show it to a publisher because that is the same thing we're going to be looking at when we evaluate because we know it, without that reaction, the chance of it really being a hit is far less than, you know, then, then you're right. It's like, you know, well, it's a good game, but is it going to be a game that sells? So we've got a question for Frank that I see in the chat. So I'm going to throw it out there. Frank, are you ready? I'm ready. Something you had said a moment ago, are you suggesting that COVID-19 could have a silver lining for game development? With, without a doubt, there's a silver lining. <laughs> I mean, let's look at it this way. Um, it's a terrible predicament. It's a horrible thing that's going on. And I hope to God that it literally ends as soon as possible. But that said, we can't complain too much because sales are still good. People have been able to buy things online. Development has increased 
immensely for us because we're not going to every show to market all these games because there are no shows. So we've been taking that time and putting it back into the development, which has made the next set of games that's coming out from us all the much better. I mean, they're literally, they were here and now they're up here. So I, I think there is a silver lining. You know, do I want to, to have this situation? Absolutely not. I prefer the norm, but uh, you know, we can't complain. That's You're great. a glass is half full kind of guy. And that is that is how I try to be. You know, yeah. when we when we stopped uh right after Toy Fair, I told the the team we're not gonna go to shows for two years. And during that time, this way nobody can complain how tired they are. And we can't, you know, we're not getting those weeks off now after the shows because you know, every time they worked a show, they would get a day off. And we really got a lot more done, just like you said, development-wise. And we did put things off and push them back because there was no show to have to get the thing ready for. And right. so now we get to, you know, spend a lot more time making the game a lot better. And I mean, but the launches are different, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, to just to, to just kind of reiterate with what Kurt said. You know, if your game gets really super great reactions and people are super excited about it, then you pitch it. But if it's just kind of mediocre and, you know, you don't have a realistic view of what it is, we can't afford to print a mediocre game right now. I mean, we never could, but now it's even worse. We need great games. And there, there are enough great games to go around. There's no doubt about it. But not every game that you create is going to be a great game. So for those of you, uh, for those that are just tuning in, we've got a couple of questions just so people know who we are again. Um, we've got a number of people wondering which companies we're all with. Obviously, Kurt makes it really easy with Smirk and Dagger behind him and Frank with his logo. So uh, do you guys want to reintroduce just real quick since we're about at the halfway point who we're all with? Shari Breaking ben? Games. <laughs> Dan from R and R Games. I'm Ben Harkins, Floodgate Games. Sorry for not making it obvious for everyone. I should put something. <laughs> I'm not doing any better. I'm Kira with Off Duty Ninja Marketing Agency that works with several publishers, including Spark and Dagger, Floodgate Games, Indie Boards and Cards, and Stronghold. I just see a couple other games behind me here, all on my shelves. Uh, so I'm doing my best to try and pull some questions in from everybody. Uh, but we have been talking about how. COVID's been impacting uh, our decisions and how we play test and get to see games. And really not so much about 2021 because we're thinking about games further out than that for those of you just tuning in. So please be sure you're throwing your questions in the stream chat and I'll do my best to throw them to the group. And I'll point out that we are thinking about 2021 over here because we just keep pumping out the games. It's just on a slower, you know, we're doing it more slowly because we don't have to put things out in time for a show. And we have that time to take to make it all the better. So, you know, we get a lot of development done this way. It's, 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 it's been interesting to say the least. Yeah. Well, plus there's, there's real issues in, in Asia right now that affect when we get our product. So mm -hmm. you can't, you can't rely upon the schedules that we've, all become accustomed to. So, you know, the pandemic is affecting all walks of life and certainly 
in production in Asia to get the product here on time. It's uh, it's been a huge challenge for us. You know, that's a good point with fulfillment of Kickstarters too. We have our own warehouse and I used to be able to hire 30 temps at a time if I had a massive Kickstarter to get out and now I can't. Right. We're not bringing that many outside people. We, we bring in people very slowly. We have a very uh, respected, respectable and respectful team. So of each other, you know, they're used to working together. They stay apart, but they trust that each other is taking care of themselves. And um, and so we're we're really not able to introduce outside temps into the warehouse on a regular basis anymore. And it slowed down the Kickstarter. So people have to be, you know, understanding. And, and you also have to think about if you're going to kickstart your game, add a lot of extra time and, and make sure you talk to the fulfillment center and say, listen, if it comes in a month late, because you want to estimate it's going to be late because everything's late. It's hard to book ships. It's hard to book planes. It's hard to get the plants to commit to dates. It used to be a 30 day turnaround. Now it's 90, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. So not the least of which is the warehouses. And in New Jersey now we have new regulations and we just have to be really, really careful. So mm -hmm. we've got Brexit right around the corner too, which is going to impact all kinds of fun stuff as well. So here's a fun question for you guys. What are you, what types of mechanics are you sick of? You'd feel like, oh, not another of when they get in front of you right now. What are you avoiding? <laughs> Go for it, Dan. The, the apples to apples mechanic. Oh yes, absolutely. That's, if I see another one of those, it's just, I'm so over it. I'm Anybody also else? a little, yeah, I'm a little weary of Roland rights, unless, unless the Roland right has some kind of component that makes me feel like I need to make this purchase. I just can't print off a white paper sheet and use regular dice because I, I I just don't understand what the value of that purchase is. But uh but then there's you know there's there's <laughs> Jeff's there's Jeff's game which is the uh, the pinball, the super arcade pinball which I thought was a great, you know, roll and write. So, you know, there are always exceptions though. So that's the thing. That's one of the best roll and writes I've ever played. <laughs> What'd you say? A lot of the I said few because we just released one, the Rogers Legandy's roll and write. <laughs> but it's got cool stuff. So. Yeah, see? There you go. Ben? Uh, a lot of the roll and rights I've been seeing tend to still fall into this like multiplayer solitaire trap that roll and rights tend to have very prominently for some odd reason. Um, avoid that. I don't know. It, that's just not, it's been done. A lot. How can you and, do player interaction yeah. and roll and write? Let's see that, right? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, cartographers, well cartographers, cartographers does it yeah. fairly well. Like that—that—that's a like. Don't do that again. But like, do something else, right? Mm -hmm. That uh, that kind of achieves that same goal of, hey, I'm playing a game with my friends. I should be interacting with them in some way, right? So we released right. Sparkle Kingdom online, which is sort of like a flip and write. It's not a roll and write, but you flip the card and write. And so uh, what the what the team did with that, I thought was really clever because we couldn't do, uh, we, we couldn't, uh, strictly speaking, play Sparkle Kitty the same way online. So we had to make it a flip and write. And so everybody prints out a sheet and does play. And it does have a little solitary aspect, but the, 
the game was created so that there's more interaction between the players and there's still that like table talk that goes on and it's actually really really cool i think it, it's one of the ones that was done well and interestingly enough it was made for covid you know derivative of one of our other games but still and so i thought that was done really well but in general i get what you mean about the rolling rights and i also am really tired of games that have a lot of dice a lot of dice drives me crazy because you can never, I can never get the price down where it needs to Sherry, be. Sherry, what if they're pretty dice? What huh? if they're pretty dice, though? Well, pretty, pretty dice, dice I love, and I'll buy them for me. I just don't want to, you know, I'm not going to make any money on them, but yeah, I collect a lot of pretty dice. How, how, much is, how much is too many? I don't know, 30. <laughs> too many. That is, bring that's bring too your many. games with lots of dice to me. I'll take care of it. Yeah. Let's be clear. R and R games likes pretty dice too. <laughs> so you does Kurt. Dice. He just had some gorgeous metal we'll make dice. Them pretty, okay. If you have dice. Don't worry about your dice. We'll yeah. make them pretty for you. You, you go well, to them with the dice. Okay, so, <laughs> Sherry, I've got a question for you from earlier. Uh, you had mentioned playing a pitch online. What made that pitch so good for you other than being able to win? Yeah, I mean, I did win. But what made it so much fun was it was a very, uh, it was a very uh, shallow learning curve. It wasn't a very steep learning curve. Um, once you got into it, it, it really was pretty intuitive and fun. There was a lot of, I, I like to call it shit talk, but I mean, there's really a lot of great table talk, um, a lot of back and forth. And um, and then the end round was just really a lot of fun. I had a I had a blast in it. So what made it really good was the overall experience was fun. I was tired and I really didn't want to do it. And so the sign of a good game is once you get into it, you're so glad you played it and you enjoyed it so much. Even though when you you might have been tired when you started. So I I think that takes <laughs> you from a place of being tired to having a great time and then being super pumped about it is it, it's really that's a hard thing to achieve, especially late at night for me. And, and they achieved that. <laughs> I played, uh, I had pitched a, a, a game that I really got into because the designers had done such an amazing job of taking the theme and blending it into the mechanics so that you couldn't layer another theme on top of this game. Um, you know, it, it had worker placement, it had engine building, but the way that they put those mechanics together linked to the theme made that you couldn't separate them. If, if you weren't gonna play this game as the game it was, it, 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 it just wouldn't be the same. And that's what I really, when I, when I have a, a game that the mechanics and the theme lock together like that, that's when I get excited about a game, quite honestly. And that's a rarity. Yeah, that's a real rarity. Brings up two really good points uh, from both of you. So I'll start with the one that Sherry brought brought to attention, and that is barrier to entry. So how much of that is a factor right now in how you're looking at games, not only from the learning curve, but also from your, your production of the game and what it's going to cost to manufacture it? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> I'm not sure the two are directly related, but um, because you can have a, a steep learning curve in a game that is not that expensive to make. Mm -hmm. um, I've, had, I've had that happen, but I, I'm just the type of person who is a casual gamer. 
unless I really get involved in a, you know, a really, uh, a really deep game, which is, you know, happened. Obviously, we printed Dwellings of Eldervale, and I played it before we did it. But, wonderful uh, game. That is, that was a monument. Uh, I don't know what else you'd call it, but yeah, it was a, it was a huge achievement. But in general, the kind of game I'll, I'll like is something uh, that I can learn pretty quickly, but that still has enough strategy to keep people interested. So it means a lot to me. If I, and the other thing is, it, we do a lot of work on rules. We, you know, pe uh, designers come to us, and the rules are always. Needy. And I'm always the one with the questions. Um, I have a lot of questions about rules. So I, I have fear of rules and always have. And so I think a lot of people come to the table with a fear of the rules and, and we try to make them as simple as possible. And, and if, if it's impossible to manage the rules, there's a problem. Uh, there's, a, there's a problem with the game in general. So that's just one observation that I have. Anyone else? I look, I look at the learning curve as a sort of percentage of the overall experience you're going to have with the game. And that may be one session that may be playing multiple times. Like if you're going to sit down and play a campaign game, like it taking you an hour, hour and a half to learn or teach or whatever, that's pretty acceptable. If you're going to get whatever 15 hours of play out of it, that's not nearly as bad as if it takes you an hour and a half to learn a 10 minute game, <laughs> which sounds absolutely awful. <laughs> uh, so I think it's not, it's not just the raw amount of time it takes to learn, but it's what, what percent of your total experience is that going to be? I look at that for scoring too. I have a game that's like got tabled because it was a 20 minute game that took 10 minutes afterward to score. And that's just ridiculous. Like, it is super fun, but like we had to fix that because that it's just, so we're, we're working on it, but that's another, uh, uh, it's kind of more of the same to look at is like how much those sort of bookkeeping accounting aspects are a part of the overall experience. This that's good. Awesome. Anyone else? All right, we'll move on to the uh, next question that kind of combos into this. And I'm not sure how many of you have experience with TRPGs and rule books uh, around those, but we do uh, have somebody curious what your perspective is. Um, what can? How would your considerations change when it comes? You brought up rule books. So how would your considerations change if you can at least, if you're not a TRPG person, maybe talk about just how the rulebook in general and how your considerations change around that? Well, I'd like to see who's going to answer this question from this group. I'll answer it. It's basically uh, TRPG, basically, you know, it's not something we look at, but the, the rulebook aspect is the same no matter what. I don't expect your rules to be perfect. <laughs> To understand, I need to be able to understand them. I need to be able to play the game from them. But I can tell you right now that what you give me is never going to be what the end result is in 95% of what I get. I have to edit those down and make them clear and rewrite them all the time. And so it's not a big expectation for me to, to see something that's perfect. And I have seen a couple games that have been virtually perfect, uh, but it's so rare. Most of them. They need a lot of work. That's a great but point. But it isn't daunting. It's not daunting. Yeah, it's because for sure. the designer understands the game so well, they forget what it's like to not know anything about it. So it's hard to start at the beginning when you're already at the end. So that when I come into a game, I'm coming in cold, 
and and other people in in my company who are great at rules and and I'm always the one who says, well, I don't want to, you know, why why didn't you put that in the beginning? I'm I'm here, I'm so confused, and you know, I'm the first one to get confused. So I find rules to be a challenge, but when they're well done at the end, it's it's a huge source of satisfaction. Except when I get those calls at night and somebody says, Can you just clarify this? Can you clarify this one thing? Just, you know, if I give games to friends and they're unclear on them, you know, I'm going to get that phone call nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night when they're trying to clarify rules, which I think is. And it is one of the hardest things is writing the clear rules to make it right. so that everybody understands. It, it's not an easy task. You can rewrite it and rewrite it over and over again and still find mistakes. It's just, it's really hard to do. It's so hard now, too, because we used to be able to just pass them off to groups, and now we really can't. So I, I don't, you know, I'd love to know how you guys are play testing. I mean, do you, do you have big families? Do you have people coming in the office? No? Just you? Pretty, you no, know? I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing all online. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and, and interesting, back to the, the rules just a second. Um, I learned something not too long ago that kind of changed... Um, one of the ways in which um, I edit rules, um, I, I learned from, um, from someone about East Coast and West Coast bias um, in terms of uh, how they process uh, rules. Uh, and originally, um, a programmer who, who writes, you know, you know, books that are educational on, on how to how to how to you know, learn a program? So it's all still very technical writing. They said that the East Coast, they want you know I do this and I do this and I do this. It's a it's more of a, a sequence is how their their brains tend to work more on the East Coast. The West Coast wants to know a lot of the rationale. Why am I doing this right now? And if you write for for both of those with you know enough little pieces that you put out to make both uh, of those kind of processing uh, folks happy and tracking, that actually makes your rule book a lot better. So that was interesting. something That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I never heard that before. That's definitely true though. So I'm Absolutely. like that and we were writing with people from the West Coast and they are way more interested in reasoning. And I just want methodology. I'll figure out the reasoning later. I just want to know what the rules yeah. are. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's a great. Point. That's funny because I'm both ways. I, I literally, I literally have always written it the the to do both the, the straight methodology and here's the reasoning why this all works. So I've actually accidentally done that without knowing it. That's so interesting. It, it never works out perfectly, but I try to kind of layer it in like a zooming style where it's like I'll start at a higher level and give you your your objective and kind of how you get there in a really rough way, right? Like mm -hmm. you're gonna be generally doing this in order to try and do that and get there to win. And then you kind of peel back a layer and you start to give more detail and get a little more procedural. And then you do it sort of one more time, digging into all the exceptions and then uh, visual examples of all of that and try to blend them together. But I'm making it sound like way more fantastic than it actually ends up being. That's, well, that's, that's a journalist point of view, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so we've got a question here, and I think we touched on it a little bit, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try and expand on their question uh, to to take it a little further for us. So, 
Have there been any studies to find out what effect COVID-19 has on the board game market, considering most games are still available via mail order? Well, to this end, I think in general, um, we just haven't had really time to have that kind of case study happen because everything is still in progress, right? I think from a general perspective, we can all say that games are selling, right? So the impact is how are they getting their games? We're seeing Kickstarter still having a lot of success. Uh, retailers are coming back, but we do see a lot of people buying online because they don't want to go into stores. So how is that impacting um, your decisions and what games you're looking at? Are you looking at more family-oriented games these days because of the Amazon factor and such? Again, that doesn't change anything for us. It's always family oh, yeah. games for us. So, so yeah, know, we have uh, a heavier... Frank, we're not going to ask any more questions. <laughs> it's a heavier focus Everyone, for us nothing on changes. R&R wants fun. But, Give them fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it literally hasn't changed a lot for us. It, what's changed is what's going on in the background. That's that's really the big change. You know, when you can't focus on certain things, you focus on other things. Awesome. It's, I think, changed the way I look at our release schedule right now. Um, so we have prioritized games that we think will will do well on Kickstarter because um, there's one, a, a without uh, the advent of conventions, uh, without uh, the traditional means that, you know, we get out there and really push and promote a game, Kickstarter remains one of the best ways to promote a game right now, and it is direct to consumers. Now that said, it's also one of the best ways that retailers are recognizing titles that are going to pop because as retailers have had to cut back what they're ordering, they are tend to ordering tend to be ordering games that historically have already done well for them that they know we're going to sell. It's harder for them to take a chance on a new unknown game, uh, even more so now than just you know without COVID. So if they see something that really pops on Kickstarter, they know oh okay, that's probably going to have a built-in audience that I can now sell to. Uh, with, you know, through through our store as well. So um, I'm looking for things that have like that I'm going to be doing in the next six, eight, ten months that have more viability in that environment. Um, now that doesn't change the fact that I'll still be looking at games um, that may not have that potential that I'll then follow when you know in in 22 or something like that, but. Um, so it's more how I look at releases, not how I look at games I might take in. Anyone else want to chime in on that before I go to the next question? I think it was a great answer. Uh, so we have somebody here asking about themes that you're tired of seeing, but I'm going to kind of go a little bit further and ask you also, how much is theme important when you're looking at a prototype? Very, very important. Very, very. See, to us, it isn't. To us, it's like it's it's cool to have a good theme and a really popping theme is great. But if you have a great game and a bad theme, we'll fix it. We'll find the right theme for it. I'm, it never worries me. Just be patient. <laughs> Just finding the so right theme, you, take a while. 
<laughs> I agree. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with Frank. I think I'm either way. If you bring it and it's the good combination, awesome. You've made my job much easier. But if you yep. come to me with a game, like you need to be able to be willing to let go of the theme, right? I want right. to be able to say, you know what, this is a great game, but this is a better theme for it. I want to paste this on top of the mechanics you brought to me. Anyone else feel that yeah, way? I can literally tell you. I can literally tell you there was a game that came to us a couple of years ago, and the theme was okay. It was fine, but I knew it could be better. And we searched and searched, and we went through four iterations of different themes until we found the one that actually matched with what was going on in that game. And thank God we had the time to do it this year because it took forever. It was a lot of testing, and we had to just try again and again because we think we get it. And then we were like, yeah, it still doesn't quite mesh. We got to get it right. And we got it right. Absolutely. It can take years. You know, you can have a great, great mechanic. I had a great strategy mechanic. Um, it came, it was one of the first games I signed. We just released it this year. It's called Something Wicked. But it started out as bar stirs and shot glasses. And then my team turned it into a cauldron with wands and beautiful witches and stuff on it. So awesome. something that actually turned into a great theme, but the strategy, you know, it's still the same. It, it remained intact. It was just impossible. It took so long to come up with a theme that was good enough for that brilliant strategy. It was so brilliant. And the, and the designers didn't have anything that was gonna sell the game. You know, it just wasn't gonna sell, but, it, but I loved it. And I kept saying, be patient. We'll come up with the theme. And we tried, we came right. up with two themes and then Finally, I think the third one was the winner, but it took a long time. And designers are not patient people. No, it's that's true. You guys are all listening. You know who you are. I don't blame them. I don't blame. Them. Thanks, guys. So, real quick, uh, as we start to wrap up here, we've got about ten minutes left. Uh, to Ben and Kurt, our theme fans. <laughs> What themes are you sick of seeing that you do just do not want to see? Are you willing to even like say zombies have been done a thousand times? Are you still willing to see those themes? Yeah, I, I am, but I'm just way more interested in digging in and learning about something that's new and novel and interesting. And that, that just makes the project way more engaging for me as a publisher. Uh, this is a thing I'm going to be staring at for a while and thinking about a lot. And uh, so keeping that interesting is and, and and fresh is really, really cool for me. And I think that's that's part of what we go for with a lot of our games is themes that are relatable, that tie into uh, real life experiences so that you kind of have this two directional uh, life experience from the game to the real to real life and vice versa. So it, it's that's much more a floodgate thing than I want to project out to other publishers by any means. But for me, it's it kind of drives from that personal interest in working on the game, but also just the our strategy of trying to tie into real life. Right on. Uh, my answer is going to be um, similar in some aspects. Um, I I very much uh, get excited with games that um, that are so immersive that the mechanics almost fall away and you feel like you're actually in the theme doing the things that we're talking about doing rather than optimizing points. So when you when you drive in and you touch someone emotionally, they react like, you know, like that's not a cube, that's a dog that might die. Like 
that's that's when I get interested is when you get emotionally swept up in a game. Um, but are there themes that I I tend to shy away from? You mentioned zombies. Yeah, um, I got burned on zombies once when I came too late to the show. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I don't know that I would do a zombie game right now, but that's not, you could still show me that game and that's where I might tweak a theme. Yeah, they don't have to be zombies. They could be aliens dead, approaching. Would they be know. dead dogs, Kurt? They would be dead dogs. Okay. And then I, then you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I I say all the time I'm sick of zombie games, but literally right before we started this panel, I was live streaming zombie teens, and I love those I love those games. They're phenomenal. And so I think if the game is good, the theme isn't going to be that big of a deal. Uh, so I wouldn't shy away from a theme, but just as a designer, be open to getting a different theme in order to get your game published, right? Um, so we're wrapping up here. We've got about eight minutes left. Any final thoughts that you want to share? I'm going to go around the horn so we don't talk over each other. Ben. Uh, stay in it. Uh, if you're designing games, just keep at it. I've heard from a lot of designers that right now has been really tough for you guys from an inspiration standpoint and uh, feeling disconnected from your normal gaming groups and the people that you ideate with. I've heard this story a saddening number of times. So just stick with it. And we're, we're ready to check out your cool stuff when you, when you have it. And uh, you know, we'll all get through this as a community, but, but please keep at it and uh, find your ways to adapt and, and keep your creative juices flowing in this, uh, in this tough time. Great. That's a great piece of feedback. Kurt. Um, I'll touch back to, to something I, I said early to say that make sure when you are pitching a game that it's ready to be pitched, put your best foot forward, make sure that you've got gamers who don't know you that are excited, not just to play, but they, they want the game. You've already created desire to own. And once you have done that consistently with people you don't know, then it's time to show us. Otherwise, it's too early and you need to hit that threshold first. Dan. I want you to show me something different. I want something that you know there isn't a lot out there. Um, and I want to see something different. I just, uh, so many times we, th we see things that have been published and you've just packaged them differently. Show me something unique. That's great feedback. Frank. I would say from the design standpoint, design to your passion. You know, find something that you're passionate about. Design to that. You will come out with an incredible game because you're so involved in it and you're so with it and so perfectly attuned to it. That's really a big help for most designs. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect because in the end, we'll help you. Sherry. I agree 100%. You've got to be super excited about it. You have to have a love for what you're doing. And if you really love what you're doing and you believe in what you're doing, the odds are that excitement is going to catch on for us as well. Thought a few things to that. Uh, I'd say to the point of being ready to bring your prototype uh, to be seen, make sure that you have a really nice 
sell sheet ready with your marketing points that are the important three things about the game because that is your quick pitch, right? That's the sell sheet is what's going to get them to look at your game in the first place. Um, I'd also say be ready to kill your darlings. Like I said, if your theme isn't right, but your game is good, be okay with getting being open to something else coming on and be sure to have some thick skin because, you know, like they say in sales, you got to get a lot of no's to get the yes. So just don't get discouraged, like uh, Ben said, and keep at it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are willing to even just look at your game and give you some feedback. But again, don't bring something that's in its first couple of months of iterations. There's really great resources out there for everyone um, online. If you look up Playtesting Journal, there's this really wonderful one that has that has all the stuff in it you need for tracking. Uh, it's one of the first ones that comes up on Google. So if you're new to this, I highly recommend. Playtesting notes are so important because it allows you to go back in time and and see what that change was that maybe screwed things up or made things better so that you can, you know, fix and function and all those fun things that you want to do to make your game the best it can be. Um, and, you know, get a lot of playtests out there, get to know Tabletopia and TTS. If you don't know, reach out to the different communities out there. There's a lot of groups on Discord and Facebook, et cetera, Twitter. There are people that do this and they want to help bring your games to life and they will help you get it online if, if it's not something that you're comfortable doing yourself. So I think, uh, yeah, and the Fail Faster Playtest Journal is another one somebody just mentioned in the comments. I actually have it on my shelf back here as well. It's a great physical journal, but if you're more of a digital person, there's a really great resource online as well. So with that, I think that's our panel, guys. Thanks so much for being here with us. Uh, we really appreciate you, and we hope to see your games very soon. Bye.